Welcome to the OA Light a, Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org, where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle Podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce my brother, Jeff M. Thank you, Ari. Hi, I'm Jeff. I'm a compulsive over reader, 100 pounder. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'll get the numbers out of the way. I've been abstaining uh, since July 5th, 2009, which means that if I don't eat before then, or I'll eat, but if I don't compulsively eat before then, uh, I hope I eat before then, but if I don't compulsively eat before then, I'll have 13 years next month. So, uh, and uh, I, my weight when I walked in the door was uh, 339 pounds, and my weight today is 205 pounds, and the miracle of that is I just said it out loud in front of a group of people how much I weigh because I would never have done that uh, in the past. Uh, so that's, those are the numbers. Uh, I could spend a half an hour regaling you with stories of my compulsive eating. Uh, what I did, you know, eating, a ba- you know, buying two ba- bags of cookies or donuts and eating to, you know, with 30 things in them and eating 28 and throwing out the last two because, God forbid, I should eat the whole bag and then opening up the other bag and getting started. And, of course, I was all chased with a diet soda. All right? So that'll just give you a little bit of the, you know, the uh, illness that I had. But I'll sum it up this way. When I was fat before I knew what food was, my mother was a compulsive overeater, my father was a heavy eater, I really didn't have a shot. And so... uh, uh, when the world constantly tells you that you're a piece of crap, that you're less than, that you're defective in some way or another, from the time that you can remember until all through you know, my, adole- my childhood, my adolescence, my you know, uh, uh, young adulthood, and my adulthood, you begin to believe them. You begin to believe them. Uh, and so that's a hard way to live life. And it's also a hard way to live life when you're constantly doing your disease, eating, hiding the wrappers, not letting other people see what you're eating, uh, feeling like crap all the time. You know, uh, you know, there's an old saying that normal people eat until they're full, compulsive eaters eat until they're tired. Uh, uh, mine was even worse than that. I ate till I was sick, till I was literally physically feeling ill. And I did that time and again and again against my will and against my best interests. And there's very little in this world that I have found in my you know, many years of life that, um, that is more soul-sucking than doing something against your best interests that's still against your will. I was compelled to eat. I did not have a choice. People don't understand that. You know, I, I was watching... Uh, a, a TV show the other day and it was talking about people in show business and they were talking and, and a woman said to this producer uh, of a movie, she said, you know, you're upset because of this, that and the other thing and you know, you just don't want to admit it because no one else would understand it because the rest of the world is just civilians. And that's how I feel about compulsive eaters. We understand each other. When I say that I couldn't help but eat 
people nod their heads and understand what I mean. If I said that to a normie, they'd say, what the hell are you talking about? How can you not you just stop eating? Do push-aways. How many times do I see that? Not push-ups, right? Push away from the table. But that's not my experience. It doesn't matter if I pushed away from the table. I just walk into a convenience store and you know, get something to eat. You know, I mean, I couldn't not eat. I would stop sometimes three or four times at convenience stores on the way home from work, which is, it was a half-hour drive. So I needed a fix every 10 minutes, and I needed it. I didn't want it. I needed it. So that was my experience as a compulsive eater. I could, as I said, I could tell you all sorts of stories, all sorts of things people did to me. It doesn't matter because, A, it's in the past, and B, we all have our own set of experiences which, because we wouldn't get here if we didn't have those experiences. Because nobody that I'm aware of skips their way into Overeaters Anonymous. Nobody says, hey, I have a great idea. Let's go and turn my entire life upside down, turn everything that I think is important to be unimportant, and you know, change the entire way I eat because it's a Friday and I'm in a good mood. I don't know anybody who does that. I mean, I had to come here because it was the last house on the block. I was desperate. I tried everything. Literally everything. So I walk in the door, and I was uh, I was uh, guided in by a guy that I knew from years ago, who was a therapist, and I wanted to go see him about you know my weight issues, and he refused to see me professionally, but he agreed to see me per, you know personally, literally across the street in a coffee shop, uh, and he's you know I was going to get the gastric bypass, and he said you know it's not it's not your body, it's your head, so you can fix your body, but your head's still going to be your head, and you're still going to need OA. So why don't you try OA before you do that surgery? Because maybe it'll take. And if it takes, then you won't need the surgery. So I said, all right, what the hell? I'll do it. So I walked in the door, Serenity Sunday, and here's the difference between whatever I did in the past and what happened. I knew enough about program to know that, because I I audited the program for a while back uh, in the 80s, and I knew enough about program to know that, you know, it was a spiritually centered deal. And so I didn't really think much about God. I'm, old, I'm of the age, I went to a college in the late 70s, and I, so I'm of the age where it was hip to disprove the, that God was, existed. I actually took a class in college that was sought to disprove the existence of God. Uh, and, uh, and I didn't buy that either, you know, wholly, but I also didn't buy the God story wholly. I was what I'll call a hedgebed agnostic. I didn't want to say there was no God, just in case. You know, pearly gates, here I am. <laughs> well, you didn't believe in me. Well, you know, well, yeah, well, bye. You know, I didn't want that to happen, so I, I hedged my bet. But didn't really, God didn't have a place in my life. Spirituality was not something that I was interested in or, or really pursued at all. Uh, and when I walked in the door, I said, God, I put my hand, it was Serenity Sunday in Beverly Hills, in the old building. I put my hand on the door, and I said, God, if you exist, if you are out there, I know I have not been a particularly good son, if that's the right word. I know I haven't paid much attention to you, but if you're out there, could you please help me to not compulsively eat today? And I get chills saying it, because I didn't have to compulsively eat that day. That's the only thing I did differently. The only thing. And so, I didn't have to compulsively eat that day, so the next day I woke up and I said, God, I guess you're there. Can you please help me not compulsively today? I didn't have to compulsively eat that day. 
Now, I'm not a mathematician, but 13 years times 365 is about 4,200, 4,500 days, something like that. And I've said that every morning, and I haven't had the compulsive leave that day. And it really is just that simple. But I have a half an hour to talk, so I'm going to complicate it for everybody. <laughs> so I pick up the big book, and, uh, and my sponsor told me, and the same guy who you know, brought me in, I said, all right, you got me into this, now you've got to get me through it. And I called him a name, which I'm not supposed to repeat here. Uh, and he agreed. And uh, he said, okay, get a big book and started the doctor's opinion. And the very first thing you, know, you read in the doctor's opinion is uh, that we have an unusual, we have an allergy, an allergy to our substance. Okay, I had an allergy to food. Uh, and what does allergy mean? Dictionary definition is an unusual reaction or sensitivity. Okay, an unusual reaction or sensitivity to a, you know, to a, a, you know, something. And, you know, if you have, uh, you know, allergic to pollen, you sneeze when, you know, the pollen count gets high, right? That's your unusual reaction. Not everybody does it. Some people do, some people don't. My reaction to food is that I want to eat more, particularly certain foods. And if I read you the list, we'd be here for the whole half hour. But, yeah, uh, you, you, I just want to eat. You know, I, I eat certain foods, sugar, flour, sugar and salt, salt and sweet, you know, blah, blah, blah. Whatever, it just makes me want to eat more. That's my unusual reaction. But I have another unusual reaction, too. And that is I have a sensitivity to food. And when I say that, I don't mean like, you know, uh, it, you know if it touches my skin, I break out in hives. I mean, I can find food in a desert. You know, barren desert, I'm going to find the food. I was, and to, to illustrate this, I was at the Hollywood Bowl last week for a concert, and I'm sitting there before the show, and I've eaten my abstinent meal already, and, you know, not looking for food, not caring about food, I'm all set for the evening, and, uh, and I'm sitting there, and start, smell, I smell corned beef. <laughs> I'm Jewish, by the way, so corned beef is a natural thing for me, so I smell this corn. I smell corned beef. And people I'm with are like, what are you talking about? I said, I smell corned beef. And I'm looking around. I'm scoping the place out. Who's got the corned beef? And there's a guy three rows down. Three rows. That's 10, 12 feet. Okay, so from 15, 12, 15 feet away, I can smell corned beef and react to it. And I see there's a big honking sandwich with stuff dripping off of it. I'm going, oh, man. Now, I'm absolutely 13 years. Now, I eat corned beef, but I don't eat sandwiches. I don't eat bread anymore. But I, I, I you know, still like, you know, I'm, you know, like getting excited over somebody else's corned beef sandwich 15 feet away because I can smell it. So that's, so, I, I mean, I'm screwed, right? I, I can't win for losing. Because even when I don't eat, I, you know, and, and in absence, and with peace and freedom around my food, well, maybe not that much peace and freedom, I guess, but with peace and freedom around my food, you know, I smell this corned beef and I'm off to the races. I want a corned beef sandwich. Now, I didn't have a corned beef sandwich because what I was able to do was say, God, please, it's okay that I smell the corned beef, but let's not get into this whole I want a corned beef sandwich routine because I'm not going to have it with your help so why make me go through all of this? And I'm not going to say that it magically went away, but I wasn't thinking about it all night. 
you know, maybe a couple more minutes. You know, I'm still, every once in a while, I'm still in a glance at the guy eating the sandwich. But, you know, uh, it, 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 it wasn't an issue. But you know what that tells me? That tells me that even in recovery, I am not like normal people. I am not like other people. I, you know, I, I watch people occasionally. I was in a, a, a restaurant, and it's a burger place that I like because it gives me a, a, you know, a small patty of meat on a salad. But you can get all sorts of other stuff there, and there's people at the next table who are eating bacon cheeseburgers with french fries and onion rings and milkshakes. And they were thin. And I wanted to kill them. <laughs> Not really. But I just, my reaction was, you know, certainly oversized. You know, and I look at them like, how can these people pop? They're skinny, they're good looking, they're healthy. Well, now, I don't know who these people are. I don't know what their story is. They might have run a marathon that day. And they don't, it doesn't, it wouldn't impact them. But I know that I can't eat that. So I had a momentary resentment because my experience in this program isn't that magically everything, all, all these issues just disappear. They don't disappear because I am a compulsive overeater. I was born a compulsive overeater. I'm going to die a compulsive overeater, but I hope not to die of compulsive overeating. But I am a compulsive eater. And so I have these reactions. So now the question becomes, what do I do with those reactions? Do I just give in and say, okay, let's get the corned beef sandwich, let's have the milkshake and the french fries and the blah, 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 blah? No, my response now is to ask God for help because it's the only place that I can find help. Now, that's not to say, you know, Ore introduced me as his brother. Ore is my brother and I can call Ore or any of you in this room and say, this is what's going on and you will try to talk me down and probably succeed. But where do you get it from? You get it from the same place I get it from. God. Now, we may not access God the same way, but we still get this, we're still drawing from the same well. So, I, I've lost the power of choice. I've lost the power of choice about when I eat, how I eat, and the sensitivity I have to food, because this corned beef sandwich incident certainly proved that. And, you know, in the big book it says that we are unable to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of a week or a month ago. Right? That's a week or a month ago. I got 13 years since my last humiliating food experience, right? Since, since the suffering of this disease. And I am, you know, I, that's just who I am. I am unable on my own accord to bring the consciousness of that suffering up that will alter my behavior. It's just that simple. And so, you know, the delusion, and it also says in the big book, the delusion that we are like other people has to be smashed. Has to be smashed. So now I'm at this precipice, right? All of this information, I, I take in all of this information. And I say, okay, what do I do with this? Where do I go? Okay, what I need to have, according to the big book, which is my textbook of life now, right? According to the big book, what I need is a vital spiritual experience. A vital spiritual experience. What does that mean? Well, I used to be a game show producer, so I went to the dictionary, because I love the dictionary. <laughs> and I looked up vital, and vital is the seat or the source of life. 
So think about that. A spiritual experience that becomes the seat or the source of my life. That's the experience that I need to have. So how do I do that? I'm a hedge your bed agnostic. Um, You know, uh, what I did was I read the big book and I did the steps. And I listened to other people. Because even Albert Einstein says that it's impossible to fix a problem with the same mind that caused the problem. And my mind caused the problem. So I need to find someone who has found the solution to the problem and do what they do and listen to them. So I did. And I read the big book. And the big book tells me that it is uh, that, that doing this program is simple but not easy. Right? Now, we've all heard that a thousand times, simple but not easy. But what we don't hear is what the big book says next. A price had to be paid. It meant the destruction of self-centeredness. That's what the big book tells me, those exact words. A, a simple but not easy, a price had to be paid. It meant the destruction of self-centeredness. Now, who was I without being self-centered? Now, I grew up in New York, right? So, as a general rule, New Yorkers are pretty self-centered. Uh, pretty much, get out of my way, I'm getting mine, right? And that's how what I grew up with. And then I went into the entertainment business, which is that on steroids, right? And so, who am I but not self-centered? You know, the difference between living life from a self-centered taking perspective or from a service perspective, which is what the book also tells me is I have to live my life in a service, you know, in a service-oriented way, is amazing. You know, I, re- I heard just today, I went to a workshop and I heard just today that, uh, uh, let me see if I can find it, uh, that we don't learn the program by absorbing spiritual information. We learn the program by transmitting spiritual information. So, it's not just about me getting it. It's about me sharing it. It's about me telling other people, me helping other people who have the same disease. And so, that's a complete shift in in paradigm from where I was. A complete shift in paradigm. Um, Because, you know, uh, addicts are immature, sensitive rebels. Right? That's, that's what I've been told. I, 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 that is me. I was rebellious. Rules are for other people. There wasn't a corner I wouldn't cut. And the reason I don't have any yellow light foods in my food plan, well, there's more than one reason, but the main reason is because I never met a yellow light I didn't want to drive right through. <laughs> you know, that yellow light, other people can stop. I'm going. They can stop. And that's how I live my life. I'm going. Watch out. Get out of my way. It's not how I live my life anymore, but that's how I live my life when I walked in the door. And so, you know, uh, you know it's, so it's just, you know, it, it, so working the steps, doing an inventory. My first inventory, I had 187 resentments. Walk around and try not to eat with 187 resentments bounced around your head. Give that a shot. See how you do. Okay, but I was able to get rid of them because I was able to talk about them. Uncover, discover, discard, right? I was able to uncover what they were about, discover what that, what that, why I was holding that resentment, and mostly it's selfishness. You know, there's an old saying in the, in the entertainment business that we have trade papers. Now they're trade digital things, but yeah, they were, you know, actual physical newspapers for a long time. And there's an old saying in the business that, 
the trades take 15 minutes to read and a lifetime to get over. And that was sort of my experience with all of life. If something happened to me, it, you know, I would react to it instantaneously, and then it would take. I would hold the resentment, right? Hold the resentment, and resentment means to live it again, right? To live resentment Re- again, resentment feeling to relive the feeling. And so, I did. I relived that feeling all the time, and that was one of the things that drove me to eat. And then once I got started, as we determined, I can't stop. So, that, that is you know, where I was. So, I worked the steps. I did the, went over the resentments. I did an inventory. I made amends. I made a lot of amends. They weren't very easy. Some were very easy. Some were not very easy. But it doesn't matter because I wasn't making the amends for, those, for myself. I was making them for the other people. But I was really making them for myself. Because I have to clear those things away. I can't walk around with all that garbage in my head and expect not to be driven to compulsively eat because I have an obsession, right? And the resentments and the fears and the uh, and all the things, the selfish things that I did, fuel that obsession. And once I got started, so I couldn't stop from starting, and I couldn't stop once I've started. So I worked the steps, and I do a, you know an eleventh and a twelfth step, you know, all the time. I was again in this workshop today. I was told that the whole deal. Steps one through eight, or I'm sorry, steps one through nine, bring you to a place where you have to do 10, 11, and 12 on a daily basis. 10, 11, 12 on a daily basis. And, you know, am I perfect? No. But is my life a lot different today? Yes. I live in a service-oriented place. I've left the entertainment business. Actually, it left me uh, because I, you know, because I got had the temerity to pass 50 years old. God forbid. And so, you know, uh, the opportunity started to dry up. I was given a gift by God of a new job and a new profession. It's really boring, so I won't bore you with it. It's not nearly as fun to talk about as being a TV producer, but it is what it is. And it's a way to make a living. And I got a new job in that business about about 10 or 12 weeks ago. And my attitude was so different from any other job I ever got because it was about gratitude and service. Gratitude and service. That's it. You jump through this flaming hoop. How high is it? No problem. I'll give it a try. You know, it doesn't matter. I do. I come through from a place of gratitude and, 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 and of service. And it's going great. We'll see how it goes in the future, but right now, it's going great. That's not who I am. It's what can I get? What can I take? I live now about what can I give? What can I... Now, I hope I'm giving somebody something. I don't know that this is a great example of what can I give. But, you know, can I help a fellow who has a problem? Can I talk to people? Can I tell them what I found here? And the answer is yes. So how is life different? That's what it was like, what happened, what it's like now. I'm at peace most of the time. Now, I don't love everything that happens in the world. The world is a frustrating place. There's things that are going on. I could get get tied up in. You're giving me no, not giving me a signal. Yet. I could get tied up in, but I, I, you know, it's God's world. It's not my world. You know, there's politics. People are very polarized. You know, my way isn't the only way. Okay, there's. You know, I, I don't agree with a lot of you know people, but. They're allowed to have their opinion. It doesn't matter if I agree. They're not looking for my, you know, my opinion, and I'm not looking for theirs. I have a set of opinions. They're allowed to have theirs. It's okay. If we could reduce it 
down to the, what we have in common, we could probably get along better. But, you know, I, I'm not in charge of the public discourse. It's not my job. Right? That's God's job. I need to do God's work, not God's job. And I want to be God. I want to be God. That, I, that, is, absolutely, that is absolutely where I want, I, you know, I want to tell everyone what to do. And, yeah, the book, big book talks about it at length. So I don't do that anymore. Let's go to some more practical things. I don't eat like I eat anymore. I don't spend the money I used to spend on food anymore. And I don't, I'm not angry. You know, my kids actually enjoy spending time with me. I don't yell. I don't scream. I don't pick fights. You know, uh, I, you know which I did a lot of that in, in the past. Before I got the program, in the five years before I got the program, I went to the I went to the hospital emergency room about seven or eight times for various fat issues. Uh, mostly because I was thinking I was having a heart attack, and I used to even call myself a heart attack waiting to happen because I was sure it was coming. Uh, I haven't been to the hospital, uh, the emergency room of the hospital, uh, since I walked into the doors of Overeaters Anonymous. Not one time. Not one panic attack. Not one fake heart attack. Not one issue. I went to the doctor about three months ago and he looked at me and, you know, he, he weighed me, took my vitals, we did a lot of blood work and he looked at me and he said, you don't have to lose any more weight. And I said, yeah, I don't care what you say, I want to. And then I told my sponsor that and he says, I don't care what you have, what you want to say, you're sticking to your food plan. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, uh, but my doctor said to me, you do not, your weight is no longer negatively impacting your health. And I said to him, excuse me? <laughs> and he said, didn't you hear me? I said, yeah, I want to hear you say it again. Because <laughs> in all my life, in my 63 years of living, no physician ever said that to me. Not one time. Now, if I had a dollar for every time a physician said to me, you need to lose weight, or you're negatively impacting your health with your weight, I would be wealthy. I would truly be wealthy. But I don't have to hear that anymore. I don't have to hear that anymore. Now, how do I get here? Willingness. Willingness to listen to somebody else. Willingness to take direction. I don't want to, you know, I talk about this a lot when I speak, and I don't want to bore everybody, but I, you know, about, uh, I, I came in a program with six pounds a month for 18 months. Every month was six pounds. It's like a joke. I step on the scale and go, come on, God. You know, can we have something different, a little something different, like seven pounds or eight pounds? Nope, six pounds every month. Didn't matter. I would change my diet. I would eliminate foods, six pounds a month. And then I began to gain a little weight because meal, I wasn't really weighing or 